A podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans. This week, we are joined with another great guest, Artem Corin. Uh, Welcome to the show, Artem. Thank you. Exciting to be here. Yeah, excited to have you. So let me briefly introduce you, and then we'll have you tell us a little bit more about yourself. But Artem is the Chief Product Officer and Co-Founder of Assembly AI, which is a SaaS platform that uses AI algorithms to transcribe and analyze meetings. And Artem has 16 plus years of product management experience and applied AI learning to his work since 2009 and is passionate about using AI to enrich humanity and create positive change. So really excited to talk about what you're doing right now, some of your experience and more. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So thanks for having me. Um, I'm from New York originally, Columbia grad and NYU grad. So very, very much a New Yorker. Um, I started off my career in technology. So I was in IT and IT management for a number of years. And then I transitioned into management consulting, um, during which time I also did some product management. Um, and I've kind of, uh, veered between management consulting and product for a number of years uh, until 2019, where I got together with my co-founder, Gil McClef. And uh, we thought about our experience in management consulting and how technology has been facilitating meetings in the workspace, but not really understanding what they're about, the content of them. And we had a simple idea at the time, which was how valuable would it be for an AI to be a fly in the wall in the meeting, hear what was being said, understand it, and then do something useful about it after the meeting. And that's where the idea for assembly AI was born. I think that's great. And I'm really excited to talk about it because I think that this is a really exciting use of AI and use of technology in general um, in an area that really, really needs it. And so I'm excited to talk more about it. But before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit more about anything that you like to do outside of the office or outside of the general workday? Oh, that's a tough one. (laughs) At at, At the risk of sounding extremely nerdy, which this is going to be, but... Uh, it is what it is. I uh, One of my hobbies is chess. And I recently moved to Amsterdam last summer. And I've gotten into this meetup called Beer and Chess. Or is it Chess and Beer? But those are the two key ingredients. So that's some of what I do after work uh, on, some, on some of my weekends. And then another thing, this is going to be... Nerd Central, just right away, I'm telling you, I I was always curious about Dungeons and Dragons. Do you know about this? Have you ever? Okay. So 
Always curious, never tried it. I think Elon Musk I, I actually has it in his biography that he used to be a dungeon master. I'm like, well, if Elon did it. <laughs> so I found an English-speaking uh, Dungeons & Dragons meetup in Amsterdam. So I've been doing that a little bit. Honestly, really love it. It's kind of amazing. Uh, and, uh, you know, other than that, I'd like to travel around um, the country, just taking a look at some of the cities around Netherlands that I haven't seen. And the reality is, though, that I don't have very much time beyond work. It's just the nature of being a co-founder. It's a little bit all-encompassing. Yeah, absolutely. Those sound like some really, really uh, interesting and and cool, uh, but like you said, kind of geeky hobbies. Um, we've we've uh, actually been into kind of see over the shoulder there into chess. My my son has been uh, very much into chess uh, this past year, and so we've been doing chess and chess club, and uh, just finished a chess tournament um, a couple weekends ago uh, that he was part of. So uh, nice. we're very much enjoying that as well. Um, so it's a, it's just a fun, it's a fun game. So, uh, like that a lot, there have a lot to dive into and, and want to jump into, um, some of the, the things that you touched on, uh, as you, as you were kind of introducing yourself, but, um, you know, why don't we start with just diving in a little bit more about your journey? So you mentioned that, you know, you, you were in New York. Uh, you've done some uh, management consulting, some product management, and then saw this problem with uh, meetings and and you know potential solution with you know applying technology and AI to you know listening and helping with that. But why don't you dive us dive in a little bit more into your journey? You know what what brought you to your current role? co-founding uh, Assembly AI, this company. And you know what, what has that journey been like? I was always interested in what's around the corner. I like to think about the next thing. And it's kind of interesting because I've never been a latest gadget person. I, I've, I've, I've had... Uh, I I was never, I never had the latest PlayStation or, or anything like that, but I was always interested in a little, in, in thinking about innovation and, and what's coming from the future. Something like, uh, so for instance, at Ernest and Young, there's this concept of the art of the possible and my mind always gravitated to be just a little bit, a little bit more in the future. And I was always excited about artificial intelligence. Uh, I took some courses on AI back at Columbia University. And when I took those courses, I was actually very disappointed because what was, I, I came in expecting to learn about AI, but instead I learned about these deep tree search algorithms which is really a really fast way to try every possible option and then find maybe one that works. And that's not AI. That's not how humans think. That's not how people think. You're not sitting there thinking through every combination and canceling out the ones they don't like. And I knew immediately that wasn't AI. And I thought, okay, I guess we're still pretty far away from AI. And then about six or seven years later, 
I randomly ran across a friend on the NYU campus. I was doing the Stern MBA at the time. And this was a person I knew from back in high school. And he was working at Jan LeCun's lab. Now, by the way, now everyone knows who Jan LeCun, well, Jan LeCun leads um, AI for Meta, and he's considered one of the founding fathers of modern machine learning, uh, famous for his research and progress in convolutional neural nets, which was one of the initial very successful machine learning approaches to identifying images or cats and images, let's say, or handwriting. And so Jan LeCun had a lab at NYU. He, I'm not sure if he still does, but at, at that time. And so I talked to, um, I talked to uh, this person that I've known before. His name is Jürg. And he told me about some of the work they're doing there. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. And so I actually made like a coffee lunch with another um, student at that lab who on his computer showed me by hand in Python, a convolutional neural net that he created. So this is before TensorFlow, PyTorch, these, these platforms for developing machine learning. This is years before they were available. He coded all of these just based on matrix math, which is what the founding underpinnings of this is. And he showed me how you can recognize like handwritten digits using this neural net. And that to me was like, okay, we now have a seed of what I think is really going to be AI eventually. At the time, I kicked off a startup that tried to use uh, CNNs for understand for trying to identify cancers in biopsies so you have biopsy images and you try to do ai based cancer detection failed gloriously for many reasons it was way too early the the data wasn't there the technology wasn't there yet the images were like multiple gigabytes and that was hard for computers at the time a lot of stuff but a little bit too early i think for for what we were trying to do but when I re when I returned to the space years later, now uh, there was the TensorFlows, the PyTorches, the um, the processes for how to properly attack ML type problems and organize data sets and manage them. That I was really really inspired by what was possible next, and I could see it. I can see it so much that I could touch it. I could touch the fact that there's an AI in your meeting understands everything you're saying and can do something useful after that meeting as a result. I was, I, I, to me, that was something that was more real than not at that point, even though I think for the rest of the world, it was still a faraway idea. And um, that's, that's really what, what brought me to, to assembly. I can kind of, I could smell the, <laughs> the reality of it. And I could tell you that there was, there was this seminal moment in our first year, uh, so we founded in 2019, in the first year, the very initial team, very junior team, as we were trying to attack a few problems in this area, build a prototype, there was a, a moment where we took uh, a, a summarization model and I gave it a CNN article and essentially asked it to tell me, okay, what is this article about? And it said that this is about the fact that Ford is about to come out with a Mustang that's a truck. And it was absolutely correct. 
And that I was, I fell back into my, that was the first time I, I saw true reading comprehension from a machine learning model. And to me that, you know, it was, it was a, a very, very early experiment in something that I, you know, that I knew was coming. It was a very early experiment that indicated, okay, you know, in the next few years, this is going to be, this is going to be a monster. Um, and, um, and, you know, the rest, the rest is history. And now we have, you know, GPT-4 and chat GPT around. It feels very much. And <clears throat> as you talk about it, you, you, it, you can see and hear the, you know, the evolution and almost the, the rapid evolution of, you know, how this has taken shape. How have you felt like, uh, that evolution really has occurred because, you know, I think for a lot of us that AI has been this topic of discussion or it's been there, it's kind of been this, for, for me anyway, kind of this slow burning thing that's been, uh, going on. And we've been using kind of, like you said, you know, some of the, the machine learning and, and some of this very more rudimentary, uh, applications of it for, for some time. And then there's just been this rapid pace of innovation and rapid pace of development that has happened more recently. Um, what, what, what's your, what's your kind of view of, of the space and the development, you know, has it, has that been the case or, you know, being more, uh, involved in, in some of these areas, like what has, has been your experience with, you know, some of the development of the the technology and some of the things happening there? I think there's at least two, probably more parallel evolutions in this space. And the two I'll point to are terminology and the other one is technology. When, when we talk about what AI is, 20 years ago, when I, when I was studying those AI, rudimentary AI, quote unquote, AI approaches, I never thought that was AI. I never thought that deep tree search is AI. I never thought that. That never made sense to me. I thought I was violently against. But my prof computer science professors taught it, teaching the AI course thought this was AI. And so there's a terminology question because they thought that was AI. Then, you know, 10, 15 years later, uh, the convolutional neural nets and lots of data, that was AI. And now we're 2023 where you can ask uh, Chad GPT to create a walking tour that's three hours long in the city that starts at this point that hits one of these landmarks towards the end of the tour. And it does a perfect job of that. And that's also AI, right? So this terminology has evolved a great deal as far as what we think AI is. I think now looking back, we can probably start to say, well, maybe that deep tree search is not an AI. That's just a way to fake intelligence that sometimes that does a good job. Um, and actually there's, there's been very clever ways of faking intelligence. Um, for example, in, in deep blue and how to play chess, right? There's ways to do deep searches that give you really good results. If you throw enough compute at it, that's fine, but it's a, it's a very narrow problem solving um, system. The, the AI of today is much more broadly capable. It's interactive in a very human way. It understands multiple languages. 
It understands actual audio speech really well, the core for our product. So um, what AI means in terminology, I think, has has evolved uh, where maybe it's converging into this more of a sci-fi meeting that's usually baked into books. Like when sci-fi talks about AI or like Star Trek, I think we're now converging towards that point. Whereas in 20 years ago, if someone was not technically familiar with AI, they would think that it's more like sci-fi where somebody was very familiar with AI, they're like, no, this is just bits and bits and algorithms. So the terminology is one. The technology evolution has been really interesting. And I think what's really unique about it is the speed. So the concept for modern approaches to machine learning were uh, documented back in the 60s and the 70s. And then there was a long pause because there was a paper that effectively said that, okay, this is theoretically not possible to do. And all the scientists were like, okay, I guess this is not possible. Then a few, uh, a few revolution, like a few uh, contrarian scientists, like Jan LeCun was one in the 90s, said, well, maybe this really can work and then tried it and it's and started doing things with it. So the 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 concept for modern ai machine learning began all the way in the mid late in the mid late um 1900s paused came back and then we had this phase i'd say from around let's say 2008 or 10 to uh to maybe a, a few years ago maybe 3 4 years ago that i've been calling the classical machine learning phase so this is a phase where ai was about uh you feed it a lot of data to solve a very particular problem. So your problem is, let's say, is there a cat in the picture? Is there not a cat in the picture? And so you can amass this huge data set of cat, not cat, give the neural net all of the examples. And after a long enough training session, it can start to predict fairly well on its own whether the picture has a cat or doesn't. Okay. So that's what I would call classical machine learning. And that was very actual in how you do AI, you know, until a few years ago. In the last few years, there's been this new architecture, which is transformer. It's called a transformer. And the crux of that approach to machine learning is that all it does is tries to predict the next word in a sequence. That's all it does. But it turns out, that's an extremely powerful tool if you can craft it in the right way. And so with uh, transformers and now, you know, large language models are based on this transformer architecture rather than feeding it a lot of data to solve a particular problem. Like, is there a cat in the picture? Uh, with these, you feed it all of the data. So you're not giving it cat, not cat. You're giving it literally the Encyclopedia Britannica or the Wikipedia, I guess, for the more modern. Um, and now it's starting to able to be able to discern uh, conceptual patterns in the data. And it's able to be very converse. It, it's able to understand language. It's able to understand a wide range of concepts. And... Um, and it's and it's able to provide intelligent responses in a very broad range of topics. So it's no longer cat nor cat. It's like, can you create a, a walking tour? Uh, can you tell me like a certain fact that so on and so on? Uh, that's the the modern invocation of AI. It's broad. It's generalized. 
it's interactive in a very human language way. You can misspell things. You can, it will understand everything you're saying. It's, it's weird that it works, but it truly works. Of course, it comes with its own downsides. There's, there's certain weaknesses in this technology. So things like it can hallucinate things. It can lie about things. Uh, it can give you, like it can know that something it's saying is actually false and, 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 and still say it. Um, there's copyright issues. There's um, guardrail issues. Like in, it can talk about um, destructive things. It can talk about illegal things. And it's actually hard to get it not to. Uh, Bing has learned that the hard way. Um, so, so it's not yet this uh, uh, holy, it's not yet the holy grail. But it's the closest thing we've had to a holy grail in AI ever. And, and the, the classic machine learning, um, development took maybe 10 years. And this thing, you know, came out, um, the, 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 the GPT and, and our other large, large, powerful large language models. That evolution happened in the last, you know, three to five. It's it's mind boggling the the pace of progress and how it's accelerating uh, constantly. It's it's really it's really amazing. It definitely feels that way, and you know, there's obviously been a lot that has gone into it, and the pace of acceleration seems like it continually has been increasing, and you we just see so much more happening in the space and and the potential there is just so incredible. And I I, I want to touch a little more on that. But before we do, um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about assembly AI and kind of the application of this and, and what you've been working on. Uh, you kind of touched on that, you know, bringing a lot of this technology and uh, the some of the solutions that we're seeing into meetings and solving some of these problems. So tell us a little bit more about assembly AI. Uh, again, you, you kind of touched on the, the idea and, and the problem that you were addressing, but tell us more about that. And, you know, some of the, the things that you've been working on in taking all of this technology and applying it to, to kind of this specific space. Sure. Uh, love, love to talk about assembly. Um, very, very proud of, of, um, the product that, uh, we're able to, to put together with the team. Um, the concept is consistent from day one, which is what could you do if you had an AI participant in your meeting? The, what, how the product work it works is there's no like downloads. There's no like complicated installs. There's, there's none of that. You register like you would on any other website or, or mobile app. And we can sync with your calendar. So assembly can connect to your Outlook or Google calendar. They can see all the meetings you have coming up and you can and you can configure it to either attend all the meetings in calendar only the ones you create or just the ones that you indicate you want assembly to attend and on the next meeting when you go to it meet with your team or your client or whoever you're meeting with the assembly teammate will show up uh it will be just another participant on that call it will say hi it will say we're recording and that's it it's going to hang out and listen uh, at the end of that meeting, when you go to assembly, you're going to have a full transcript of the conversation. You have the meeting notes that AI generates. 
You have key takeaways, things like actions, issues, risks, decisions, and so on. Many useful uh, identified items. And beyond that, you have Semblian, which is a chat interface that you can ask anything about the meeting or you can say, okay, uh, write me a follow-on email with the next steps based on this meeting. And in a few seconds, you're going to have a perfect email uh, with all the details that were discussed in the meeting that are important to surface for the next meeting. So, so that's the, the basic flow of assembly. Um, and then you can get into more interesting things. So for instance, because it's an AI attendee and it's, it's exactly what it is. Um, it's not like, I'm, it's not a manner of speaking. It's, it's literally a, an AI comes to your meeting and listens in. So because of that, uh, you don't, ha- you don't have to be at the meeting. You can ask assembly to join a meeting that you can't make. You can include a little message to the team. Say, Hey, sorry, dentist. Um, please, you know, talk about this point that we were going to talk about. That's it. Assembly will be there for you. Listen in, come back with the meeting notes. When you're, when you're ready, you can either open the mobile app or the web app. And in a few seconds, be up to speed on what happened in the meeting. Even more so, you can open your assembly and chat and you can say, were there any specific items that I should pay attention to from this meeting that were specifically for our town? And it will give, it will give you the list. It's crazy good. It's really, really cre- creepily good. Um, and it, it's very nuanced in the way that it understands these things. So... Uh, so those are some of the more interesting uh, cases. And then, of course, there's uh, things like my commitment. So uh, assembly tracks your to do. So you're talking in the meeting. You say, OK, I'm going to send you this next week. And then if you're anything like me, you have you know 10 meetings a day, more meetings a day, every day. And you have your weekend with your awesome Dungeons and Dragons friends. And then you come back to work on Monday. And you scratch your head. You're like, okay, what were the 174 things I said I was going to do? You know, assembly tracks your to-dos. You just open your to-do app that you've connected to assembly and you'll have a list of all your activities there. So that's just another benefit out of assembly um, coming to your meeting. Uh, so those are, those are some of the core capabilities of, of the assembly product. Um, and if, if you think about it, it's like, well, if I had AI come to my meetings, remember all the meetings. Obviously, they're searchable. Obviously, they're shareable. Obviously, they're reviewable in any language. Let's say your team likes to talk in French, but you're not a French speaker. Maybe there's a global team that, you know, is a marketing team in France, but you're in the United States. They had a meeting, but you'd like to understand what the messaging is for a certain product that's coming out in France. You can have, you can ask assembly to, to talk to you about the meeting in English and, you know, take this French meeting, summarize it in five lines in English. All those things are possible. So, um, it, it almost is limited to your imagination of how much you'd like it to do for you. Uh, aside from the things that it does out of the box, like meeting notes, meeting recall. Um, the to-do items and, and things like that. There's, there's base. It's almost unlimited how much, how much um, it can do and automate for you um, after the meeting. 
That's <laughs> you've touched on some really, really incredible things, because I know for me, as I go through more and more meetings, I, I run into the same problem of and I'm a person who I'm like taking notes like I have my iPad and I'm taking handwritten notes because, you know, that's what I do. And, and I'll I'll have like the things, you know, the to do items. But then again, it's all just like in my notes and things like that. And, you know, the, the to-do list and all of those things. And like, you know, what, what was talked about all of that, just, it gets, you know, kind of siloed or, or pushed away. And then, you know, there'll be like the one to-do item that you maybe slips my mind or slips somebody else's mind and, and all of that. And so like being able to have that like continually surfaced or, or just like searchable of, you know, here's all of here's the meetings, here's all of the to-do lists. And if I just want to go back to a meeting and be like, what did we talk about? Because I've been in 10 meetings and I can't remember anymore. And I just need to know like that alone is just a super fascinating thing to me. And I kind of want to touch more on uh, meetings and what you, where you see this going. But before we do that, what have you learned or what have you seen as people are applying this to meetings um you know has there has there been anything that uh you've seen that's interesting or maybe even surprised you as people have started to use this and and put it into practice in their meetings or in their in their searches or in their to-do list or commitments or anything like that so there are there's some macro effects of using um a voice AI platform uh, on a team or in an organization. Uh, For instance, meetings can get shorter and you can get fewer participants in a meeting because very often you want to get the update, you want to get the knowledge share, but you don't, you're not a decision maker or you're not, you don't have an input into this decision that's being discussed. But there's a bit of FOMO, like, okay, if I'm not there, like, Am I going to miss something important? Um, So those participants now can focus on doing productive work, um, achieving high value outcomes. And after the meeting, they just go to assembly and they either look at the, the meeting notes that AI generates, or they just ask a specific question about a specific topic that they're interested in that was discussed. So that opens up a lot of productive time and it shortens meeting time because now fewer people are in there. So you can have quicker conversation, da, da, da. You can get, you can get more things done quickly. Um, in fact, uh, our, the slogan that we go with is, uh, attend less, accomplish more because meetings have grown tremendously since COVID-19. Everybody's on online meetings all the time, but the productivity isn't necessarily keeping up because just because you had twice as many meetings doesn't mean you get twice as much done. It's probably the inverse is true. And we shouldn't forget that there are humans attending these meetings and people need time to think deeply about things and be creative on their own. Uh, and not all great things happen in a meeting. I can, you know, if I can tell you for me, if there are certain com- complex ideas that I need to process, I need alone time. 
So the ability to carve more alone time for me is critical, even though my life revolves around meetings to meetings to meetings. And so, um, you know, one way that, you know, one way that this has changed people in organization is it, it, it gave people back some time and, and opened up their calendar a little bit, allowed them to work a little bit more asynchronously, which is, um, you know, one of the future work concepts that we play into very directly. So that's, that's one. Another would be that we have a customer has been with us for a while. It's a large organization. Um, and they think of assembly as more of a team member rather than a software. And this is also, this is so new. And I, it always tickles me to talk about this because. Uh, I think we'll hear a lot more of these kinds of paradigms in technology in the coming decade, but we've never heard of this in the past decade. But this customer thinks of assembly as a teammate. And as a result, you know, the kind of conversations we have with this customer are about, you know, okay, you know, we're working, you know, we've learned that, you know, assembly is, you know, it thinks about things in this way. And so it will give us these kinds of items in this way. And so it's almost like getting to know a team member. Like it has certain, you know, preferences and certain ways it thinks about things and certain things it likes to highlight, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's a, it's an interesting shift um, in how you, in how you go about your work and have your meetings uh, when you're assuming there's this team member with you. Um, and I guess on the other hand, like, so these, these are teams who are using assembly and, and, and using it to be more productive. But then there's like the other side of the sword. Like I can tell you that when I'm not, when I'm in a meeting without assembly, there's like a little bit of real anxiety that's, that creeps in. It's weird, right? Because initially for, for a lot of customers, initially it's a little jarring. Like, okay, you know, why are they listening? Like, who's going to hear this? Like, why is this being recorded? Eventually you get through that and you get very, very comfortable with an AI on your call. It's just part of the course, like it's normal. Um, and then there's the third phase of when you start to get a little worried when AI is not on your call because you've learned to rely, like I have, I've gotten used to the fact that I always have searchable transcripts. I always have something I can share with a team member if I had a call with a customer and I got some good feedback items, what I do, this is what I did today. I go click, click, share a link to something the client said with one of my product managers and say, hey, look at this. This is important feedback. That's something that I'm so used to now that if I don't have it and the client says something important, all I'm thinking, instead of being like, okay, I need to write, all I'm thinking is I really wish I had assembly on this call right now. So there is kind of like, the other end of how it changes you, where you now get so used to it that you miss it when it's not there. Absolutely. You've, you've touched on a couple of things that I, I want to, to kind of pull on a little bit, but the future of meetings, um, I, I think is, is so intriguing because, because you talked about there, you know, being able to shorten meetings and have fewer people and really make them more efficient. And, and I think that's so important because um, meetings have gotten, um, or, or have the potential to kind of get out of hand and have that FOMO, like you, you talked about and really being able to, um, take a lot of that away because it's not, you know, people don't necessarily have to miss out because you can have these 
uh, recordings and searchable parts of it. And people can be a part without necessarily having to, to take time. Um, how do you see that going forward with both assembly and, and just in general, uh, as far as, you know, the future of meetings and, and the future of applying AI and technology to the way that we meet? I, I think, um, one thing that's going to ha- that's already happening, but it's going to become pervasive is all meetings will have some form of some form of AI participation. All meetings, because there's a there's a value multiplier there, and it's then why wouldn't you multiply the value of the time you've spent? That's kind of crazy not to. So that's that's the first thing that's happening that's going to happen, and that's already. The case for, you know, for our meetings, many of the clients we we talk to already either use us or can use, you know, one of our competitors as well. But we're starting to see this being a normal thing. And as we go forward, I think what you're going to see in these meetings is that the AI will start to be more useful during the meeting as well. So right now, for example, we're very focused on value, productivity and value after the meeting. So we automate some activities for you. We kind of take the pain out of the follow-on, which is so important, right? Because the follow-on is where the results come from. But as we go forward, I think you're going to start to see AI become more independent and self kind of propelling in certain ways, both during and after the meeting. And so you're going to have some interactions with AI where maybe it's an AI um, teammate from another team that joined your meeting because that team needs a status update on a certain thing because they have a dependency on your thing. So you might have an agent or a participant from this other team join in and, and specifically look for certain information. Uh, and the where I tend to really freak people out is this next one. <laughs> so, so the AI participating and, and actually kind of voicing specific things, I think we're, you know, within a couple of years of that, not so far, like literally a couple of years. But I think within like maybe five to seven years-ish, you might have a meeting where there's an AI from one team who meets with an AI from another team. Now, that's really fun. And I think people get really nervous about this idea because it's such a um, mind melt. But it's, uh, it's all heading in that direction. Um, where, you know, I have an AI agent or participant on my side, maybe my client does, and maybe, you know, my assembly and knows some information we need, knows how to get in touch with the client's assembly. they have a little chat and they, you know, my assembly comes back to me with the information. Very realistic. Um, I don't, and it's so useful that I don't see why that wouldn't happen. So that's in terms of AI participating in meetings and how that will change. Um, meeting themselves, I think the trend is much more flexible, much more asynchronous, um, being able to m- much more about, uh, much more focused maybe. And, and really, in, in ironically, I think, actually becoming more human because... There's a there's an important human element like that's true on our team. Like we don't, you know, when we go into a meeting, it's always first about something that's going on in our lives. Very, very rarely do we jump into 
the deep with with the with the technical and what whatnot. Um, only when we're very pressed on certain times or something like that. The normal thing is it's about the person to person interaction. Like I really care about what's going on in my team teammates' lives and my team leads' lives. I I I want to know. I I want to understand. And now that we're so remote, that part of interaction is that much more important because I never get to see them in person like once or twice a year now. A big part of our team is in Ukraine. They've been very impacted by the war. Um, I, I lived in Ukraine for a couple of years. So I kind of, I know that situation well. And um, it's it, that human bit of interaction is becoming more important. And I think we can get more human knowing that the key elements required for follow-on after the meeting are well captured and well addressed with the AI that was hanging out with us during the call. So it actually allows me to be maybe a little bit more plugged in, a little bit more focused on the conversation rather than worry about, okay, like I need to jot this down. Like this will need to go to this. Like, you know, Julie needs to be updated about that. Like I don't need to do that. I can focus on the person I'm talking to. And maybe, you know, maybe that's an interesting side benefit of, of AI participating um, along with us. I think you're absolutely right. Um, making meetings more focused and ultimately more human. Uh, that's almost, it's an interesting juxtaposition of, of the technology and AI being able to help, um, focus more on people ultimately. And I think you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you, you touched on the active participation and, and, um, the AI almost being able to start to do some of these things at some point, because that's what, that was where I wanted to to take this as well. Um, you know, where you see that coming down the road, you know, where you have either teams or different groups being able to have uh, an AI, uh, you know, getting updates or, or asking for updates and, you know, being able to have these interactions almost independently and uh, being able to, to, either asynchronously or, you know, within meetings have those types of interactions and even start to minimize some of the, the, the in-person meetings that we need to have when those can be handled without people necessarily being involved all the time, which I think is a, a fascinating route. And you mentioned that the reaction of that has been kind of mixed. Do you see people being excited about that or, or is there, you know, some, some hesitation about that or, or has it been kind of a mixed bag? I would say today the reaction is broadly creeped out. (laughs) (laughs) That's the dominant reaction. People are creeped out by the idea. I'm not, I think it's cool, but I also, not only do I think it's cool, I think it's inevitable. Um, I think a lot of the things that are happening now in, in the AI space have, are inevitable. Um, and because this is so useful, anything that's useful is inevitable in a, in a way. Um, you know, assuming obviously, you know, no major downside risk. And that's something, you know, that's a big topic of discussion today, uh, broadly about AI. So there's been news that, for example, Italy banned ChatGPT and, and Germany's talking about it. But that's kind of the, the, but, um, but ultimately this is a, what AI, modern AI is, is a method. It's a way to take a lot of data and make that 
make an intelligent model out of that data. It's a method. It's not a, you know, it's not, it's not a, you know, a, an object. It's a way to do things. It's, it's almost like, you know, there's a, there's a way to think scientifically about things or, or there's a way to solve math problems. You can't ban solving math problems. Like you can always find X, like no matter what law you put into place, you know, two X equals 20, you can find X. Like there's, you can't put a legislature around that. Modern AI is more like that. It's a way to solve formulas just in a different context and a little bit more complicated, but it is. So because it's a method, it's, it's going to, uh, it's going to result in, in this kind of progress. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, re so today the, the reactions are, it's creeped out. I think people, it's, it's very natural. I get it. I understand. Um, you know, I've been baking in this for a number of years. So to me, it's a little less crazy. I think for many people, this is very new and very, um, jarring. Uh, but as we go into this year, next year, everyone will start to encounter uh, some types of AI-based solutions in their lives, probably are already. And these ideas will start, start to get more and more normal. And uh, eventually, uh, our grandkids will, will not understand what it what do you mean there wasn't an AI in your classroom or there wasn't an AI in your professional meeting? How does that even work? Um, I think we're heading, we're headed in that direction. Yeah. I, I, it's a fascinating thing to think about. And the fact that at some point, probably in the not too distant future, I'll, I will be sending an AI to get, not just get updates or, or listen in, but to, uh, you probably contribute a few pieces to certain meetings uh, to, I guess, both give updates, get updates, and then, you know, let me know what some of the takeaways are for, for certain things uh, when I may not be able to be there or, or something like that, or to interact with another AI and exchange information um, asynchronously or, or to that effect. It's, it's a fascinating, fascinating thing that we're going to be seeing. Um, probably coming up faster than we think I, I would expect. So that, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to say. The, the, the pace of innovation here is geometric. It's exponential. And uh, as people, we're not wired to have a good sense of exponential changes or exponential time changes. Uh, it doesn't really compute. Like we just don't have a good feeling for it, but it's coming faster than we think. And it opens up some very interesting considerations. So for instance, we're already there in a way. Um, so I mentioned we have this feature where an AI tracks your to-dos. So isn't that very, very close to an AI telling you what to do, right? It's, it's not exactly that yet because we're working off of things you said so we have like a, uh, like a, like a CYA, right? Like we have a, you know, uh, we, we, it's not our idea. This was your idea. We're just showing it to you. That's how the feature works today and very intentionally so, because we don't want to say, you know, we're making things up for you to do, or also we don't even want to say that this is something you have to do. So the feature in the product is called my commitments. It's not my to do's, meaning that these are things you said. And we think these are things you meant you want to do. 
whether you want to treat it as a to-do item or not, that's up to you. So it's a very democratic to-do tracker today. But let's say you have an enterprise that says, okay, there are certain kinds of activities we want the AI to reinforce. You know, you can get an AI to pick tasks differently. You can get an AI to surmise tasks based on a discussion about a goal. So there was no task voiced, but the AI, the AI scratches its head and it goes, okay, you were talking about, you know, you need to launch a product. Well, to launch a product, you're going to need to build a website. So why don't we throw in a task to build a website to the design team for the design? And then, or maybe the AI augmented design team for the design. And then it can kick off a workflow because it understands what you're trying to achieve. And at that point, it's starting to drive actual human activity towards a goal. This is not so crazy. Like if you think about my example of you now I went to Utrecht with family, we didn't have a plan. So I asked AI to come up with a plan for us to, for a walking tour. We're effectively doing for that day what the AI told us to do. We enjoyed it. It was within the parameters that we wanted, but effectively that was happening. You know, a lot of people are talking about the fact that Tinder is like AI matching people you know, for, for procreation for new generation. So it's, it's subtle today. And it's, I would say it's kind of like the soft hand of AI today where AI is like, oh, it's not me telling you. It's like, no, it's your idea, but I'm just helping you out. But the switch between that and AI starting to sprinkle in a little bit of its opinion about what it thinks is a good task for you to do it's it's a half a step. We're very close. And I think it'll be very interesting when there's systems out there next year, a couple of years from now, not so far, literally a year or two, where the AI will have some good, some good ideas about what um, a team member should be working on. And how do we think about that? Is that okay? Is that, you know... Um, those are, those are some interesting questions. They are. And this is, it's a super fascinating space and I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes and the number of things that, uh, will be coming out of it, both for, for meetings and, and generally speaking, um, zooming out a little bit, I'm interested in, in your thoughts on, you know, where, where do we see other impacts? Um, you know, we've talked about, you know, meetings and uh, you know the some of the to dos and even some of the other things we were talking about uh, now. But generally speaking, you know, where do you see potentially other impacts of AI uh, in work and life going forward? It's probably easier to think about where there aren't because it's a new. Uh, I like to say that. Um, Modern modern AI, the latest generation of AI, the, the really smart large language models, generative AI, it's a new kind of a material that we can sprinkle all throughout our lives. In a, in, in a way, it's very similar. In a, it's not perfect analogy, but it's very similar to the dot-com boom and the advent of the internet. And so, you know, that has changed absolutely everything. It's changed what it means to be a human being in the world. It changed what, what it means to be a civilization, right? The internet has completely 
changed how we think about lives. Um, and I think AI has the same potential for impact. I think it's, it's, it's a question of what happens sooner versus what happens later, but it's going to upend everything, uh, that we've, we, we understand it's going to upend everything. Every aspect of our lives is going to be touched. Interestingly, there was a lot of thought, uh, around like, can AI be truly creative? Like, isn't that the space of humanity, like innovation, creativity? Um, it's interesting because, you know, my uncle brought up this point, but I think he's right in the money where he says, you know what, in the science fiction books, it was always the robots doing the hard labor and like, you know, cleaning like things. And the humans were like kind of, you know, smoking their pipe and philosophizing. And it could be that the opposite is true. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to be a, a, a dystopian, but it's hard for AI to touch real world things. That's still a hard problem because physicality of the real world presents certain real challenges. Um, but if it doesn't have to touch real world things, uh, it's actually really, really good at thinking about stuff. And so coming up with digital outcomes. Uh, and so it's already disrupting and will continue to disrupt all of our creative fields. I think what it means to be an artist of various sorts in the, in the new world in the next decade is going to be rethought. Um, my friend who is deep in the music business sent me a link to a, 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 a group that generated an original Jay-Z track with Jay-Z vocals and, Jay, and Jay-Z lyrics uh, that wasn't Jay-Z. So he's, you know, it's, it's, it's game over for a lot of classic ways that we've been producing creative content. And we're looking at things that are very personalized, like maybe, you know, maybe my ideal music station is duet of Little Wayne and Madonna or something. Um, and I can get that if that's my idea of entertainment, like we can produce that using AI techniques. So that, that industry will get upended. Um, the medical industry is going to get upended with AI because AI is just really good. It's passing medical exams left and right. You look at GPT-4. Um, so what it's, what it means to consult with a doctor might, might, um, get disrupted. Um, all sorts of, uh, cons- consults and, and, um, consultations, psychologists. I don't see a reason why your psychologist has to be a real human being anymore. You can get a, you can talk to a psychologist you feel really comfortable talking to. You can design one. Um, and they will give you the kind of methodology that you want and be very, very effective in it. So that's getting upended. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to think of an industry that's not going to get appended in the next few years. I think the, the industries that are relatively safe are the industries where you have to touch physical things. I think those are kind of safe for a while. Um, the one that's in the middle of those two is maybe like driving cars and trucks. And 
Uh, but I think, you know, with the latest advances in AI, we're going to start to see uh, uh, production quality results in that area where um, it's, it's going to become normal to have AI-driven vehicles. Uh, but you can see the complexity there. There's been many companies dumping billions of dollars into that development and still it's not, it hasn't passed that critical mass of it's a normal thing. It's still not, there's little cities here and there where there's AI driving cars, but it's still not normal. So I think the car, the AI driven cars is, are effectively like a barrier between AI doing things in the real world versus just AI is thinking about things. If you think, can, if you can think about it, AI is probably going to have their hand in it very, very soon, making it faster, better, cheaper, more, more quality, um, and really changing the goals for the humans that work alongside with it. I think that is definitely a, a, a fascinating overview. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Artem, this has been a super, super interesting conversation. I feel like we could probably continue it on for, for quite some time about uh, both what's happening right now and, and some of the future things. Um, but before I, I, I do have a couple, uh, just final kind of wrap up questions, but before we get there, um, any final thoughts from you on anything that we, we talked about or didn't get a chance to talk about? I, um, I think that this, this, I, this idea of, uh, AI, um, it's it's something that you know every everyone is going to have to find out about and learn to use and the sooner you do it the the more the better prepared you'll be for what's coming so i'd like it every time i've introduced um ai based experiences to people in my close circle it's always been eye-opening. It's always been very positive. And I would say that, you know, there's, there's a, this now is a really cool time to start to try some of these uh, technologies, ChatGPT, Assembly, uh, Dolly 2 for images or mid-journey now is beautiful. You'll start to think about things differently. You know, you'll start to find more opportunities where there haven't been before. Like you go off to Utrecht without a plan. What do you do? Boom, boom, boom. You have a plan. Um, that's not something I would have thought of, you know, half a year ago that I can now. So um, I think as an idea, I would encourage uh, everyone to, to like just look around and try some of these things for yourself and see what it does for you. And it will open up new modes of thinking in your job and your personal life. Um, in just your individual productivity, but also just give you a little bit of preview of where things are moving and that you can start to think about, okay, how does that juggle your, you know, position in life and, and, um, and kind of get you more prepared for, for what's coming. I think that's, it's a good, it's a good idea for all of us at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. Well, uh, Artem, where can people find out more about you, about what you're working on, about Assembly? Assembly is www.assembly.ai. So S-E-M-B-L-Y. Uh, you can go on our website. Um, there's a free trial. There's a free uh, personal plan of our product. Uh, check it out. Um, use it in the meeting, record, upload. 
um, and see what AI can do for you in your um, meeting conversations and discussions. Uh, for me, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Artem Koren, that's A-R-T-E-M-K-O-R-E-N, or on Twitter as Clearly Koren. Perfect. And we'll put those links in the show notes as well. So you can uh, check those out. All right. We usually uh, wrap things up with uh, just kind of two final questions here, but, uh, and, and these are, don't have to be product or AI uh, based, but have you read or watched or listened to anything recently that you have found interesting and, and would like to share? I've listened to, <laughs> I've listened to a lot of things, uh, uh, recently that I really enjoyed. I, I thought the, um, the, uh, Sam Altman interview on Lex Friedman podcast was really insightful. Um, and, um, I recommend it. I think, um, it's, uh, it's certainly a data point in this, uh, transformative time for, for us and for technology and AI. And I think the, his his comment on the history of open ai and where things are going is is a good um a snapshot in time uh so definitely uh definitely really recommend that um yeah there's there's a lot i'm 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 consuming a lot so it's actually hard to uh to pick to pick any um any any one thing i'm like an avid like a podcast youtuber like i walk around the city and i listen to a lot of stuff so yeah Yep, absolutely. All right. That's a, that's a good one. And we'll link that one in the, in the show notes as well. And are there any products that you have used recently that you have either enjoyed or not enjoyed that you want to, you want to call out? Assembly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have, um, let me think. Um, so, I mean, I use, I use a lot of chat GPT. That's for sure. Um, there is a there's a product that uh, that came out that I played with very lightly. Um, I'll tell you what it is right now. So it's a uh, it's a AI driven visual studio where you can base. It's kind of like Mid Journey, but with a lot more functionality around it. Um, it's really really cool. Um, I'll I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is. It is okay. It's called Dream Studio AI, um, and the full URL is beta.dreamstudio.ai. Um, and it's fascinating for me because I'm not a um, graphics person, so uh, for me it's like magical. And you can—it's prompt-based graphic design. So you tell it what you want, and it generates, um, and it's brilliant and it comes up with really beautiful uh graphics so uh i thought it's really cool um and that whole area of like generative images is like fascinating to me there's all sorts of apps now where they can generate um like that you can give them some photos of you and they'll generate a virtual model in different settings that's realistic for like photorealistic just mind-blowing and i think it's really really cool and talking about where ai disrupts like you know, how about, uh, photo studios and, and Instagram and graphic design. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, those are, are definitely some that I have seen that have been super interesting as well. So definitely agree. All right. 
Artem, this has been, uh, again, an amazing conversation and appreciate all of your insights and, and, uh, the stories and, uh, the work that you're doing. I, I think this is some incredible stuff and really excited to see where things go in the future. So again, we'll put all of those links in the show notes and appreciate, uh, again, all of your insight here. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, it was great talking, a uh, really interesting subject. So, um, maybe, you know, we'll have one or more of these, um, talk some more when AI is even more advanced. I hope so. Yeah, we will definitely have to do that. All right. And thank you everyone for listening. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter, Product Thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kaya Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.